We all know the medical system is broken here in our country. It's been a topic discussed by Congress and at uh, term elections again and again, year after year. We know something is wrong. As you see from the stats here, the United States has one of the highest costs of health care. And just in 2021, spending reached $4.3 trillion, average uh, per person about 12900 As you see from this data here, this chart shows you um, the difference decade over decade. It's only gone up. However, like you know, nothing gets better. No one is getting healthier. So what is wrong? Why is this happening? Even though we're spending so much more than any other wealthier country, developed country across the globe, why do we continue to get sicker? This is a great question, and it is time that we discover something better. If you are wondering, is there something better? Well, yes, and it's possible we may have discovered it. How fast it gets implemented, that I can't answer. Um, there are too many uh, intricate policies and insurance companies and processes and agencies that all control what is the standard. I pray that someday this could be the standard. Welcome to the channel. My name is Mike, and every week I discuss topics that I care about. Hopefully you find them of value as well. Today, I've had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jay Dunn. She's a geneticist, practiced medicine for over 30 years, and she's going to explain to me this new methodology she's been using. You see, this method goes deeper then modern medicine, as we know it, goes much further and beyond functional medicine, as we have learned recently, and targets and gets to the root of the problems of whatever you may be experiencing. I've really enjoyed the conversations I've had with her. It's eye-opening, and I hope you find that uh, to be the case as well. Let's dive into it. What are the true uh, fundamentals of genetics as we know them today in comparison to like what you're working with? Well, that's, that's a good question because I think there is a lot of misinformation out there or misunderstandings of, of how the whole thing works. And the saving grace is that, yeah, you might have an increased risk because your parents had a particular imbalance or health uh, issue, but doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it because you're, Diet, your lifestyle, supplementation, stress levels, all of that can cause different genes to express. So, you know, it's really when we look at genetics, we're talking about risk, not a definite like you're going to get this kind of thing. See. Which is the good news and the bad news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's they, they say that, you know, genetics loads the gun, but your the environment pulls the trigger, right? I said, yeah, I guess so. That, well, that's been my suspicion about it is like, it's, it's, it can't just be that simple. I've heard it many times from just my own personal visits. Like, uh, you know, that's what it is. It's your genetics. Uh, it's your DNA. And I just kind of, uh, I couldn't just believe um, that that's, that's all of it. That No. And on the other side, you know, it's not all, uh, environment, lifestyle factors, because one of one of the things that kind of made me start looking at genetics was, you know, the fact that my 
father died at 55 of lung cancer and he was a big smoker and drinker and, you know, never did anything healthy. And he died at 55 of lung cancer and his best friend who was doing the same things ended up marrying my mom after my dad died. And he lived another 30 years doing the exact same things. So the only thing you can say about that is it's genetics. You know, it's not, not everybody who smokes is going to get cancer, but people who have a genetic risk for it and they smoke, they have a much higher chance of getting cancer. And so that was one of the things that started me thinking, because that's, that's the way we looked at it. It's like, oh, well, we don't know. The only thing we can explain that can explain that is genetics. And we've kind of parked it over there in this big black box of, we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that's, that's huge though. Um, And that begs the question. I'm like, well, okay. And, and, additional 30 years of living doing the same exact activities like how the hell did that happen i imagine that they lived in the same neighborhood or same communities so it's it's not as if the environment was vastly different so what the hell is that about right and so when i started looking into my own genetics you know i found i found the gene which uh as i as i dove into the science of that particular genetic snip um, one of the first studies I found said that you have a higher risk of lung cancer if you smoke with that particular genetic risk. And I went, oh, this makes sense to me. <laughs> and probably my stepdad did not have that genetic variant. So uh, it was kind of like, okay, it's making sense. Okay. I guess it does make, uh, at least it it helps to kind of put things into perspective there. Um because um, I've always thought that, uh, especially with, let's say, smoking. So smoking anything is bad for you. Uh, we know this from a general um, understanding of it. But the we see that, okay, some people can smoke all their lives, reach the age of 90, and there's, you know, they don't really develop anything. And yet um, my thought process had been for a number of years, like, well, what they were smoking back then was far different than today. Um, it, it, it's, it was a progression, like uh, from natural tobacco to what it became. And you, when you dive into that, you say, oh, of course, the big tobacco spent a great deal of effort and, and money to make these things painfully addictive. Um, right. And those chemicals uh, are probably what contribute to a lot of the health issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, does that play a role? Is that is that not uh, a an indication of something? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're much more toxic than they were back in the day, but it still managed to kill my father in 1980. You know, and I, I know even back then they had a lot of addictive kind of substances in it, but I think it even got worse after that. So yeah, your ability to get rid of toxins is also kind of genetically determined. And, you know, the, the thing, the other thing that kind of alerted me that, that there might be more to this whole genetic thing, at least biochemically was, uh, you know, where couples, they would come in to see me in my practice. And, and one of them would say, you know, I just feel like our house is so toxic and, you know, there are chemicals everywhere and I'm super sensitive to them. And the husband or the, or the wife or the spouse is saying, well, it doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't know what your problem is. It's probably you, you just being overreactive. And it's just not true. You know, when I look at uh, genetic variants in people, certain people can detox much more efficiently than others. And so, so some are going to be much more sensitive to the toxicity levels of their environment. 
and much more prone to cancers and other things that that can come from exposure to to these toxins than other people you know and it, and it's true we look at people also with uh, high metabolisms you know so two people can eat the same diet and one person is going to be terribly obese and the other one is going to be skinny same diet same same foods and so you know we know there's these genetic variants that affect our our physiology in various ways so that's fascinating is that uh, would that be applied to let's say um uh just environments that are maybe dustier more pollen more th things of that nature where one is ex experiencing issues whether it's breathing or or mm -hmm. uh sinus issues things like that yeah absolutely yeah some people will be much more reactive to the pollen you know in the area than others and so when i started to look at these genes and and they made a lot of sense to me there if in that case like we're looking at pollen or histamine levels high histamine levels there's a genetic uh, there's an enzyme that breaks down histamine that is genetically coded so if you got the right code for that enzyme that breaks down histamine then probably not going to be bothered by allergies. But if you got a variant that works a lot slower at breaking down histamine, then, you know, your histamine levels are going to build up and build up and you're going to react. And so histamine can hit you in a variety of ways, not just the what we think of as like, you know, blowing your nose and sneezing and itchy eyes and runny nose. Um, it can also hit you in the digestive system or in the brain, you know, cause brain fog and uh, other symptoms. High histamine can be terribly uncomfortable. Uh, hives or rashes are also another symptom of, of high histamine that can be from your inability to get histamine out of the body. And so wow. uh, fascinating when we look at it that way, but it's very logical. So, you know, you get one, one set of genes from mom, one set of genes from dad, and, you know, they come together to give you a code for these particular enzymes in our body that that do things like that, break down histamine or break down adrenaline or break down neurotransmitters or um, toxins, you know. And so if you've got the wrong code for that enzyme, then it's going to slow down how that enzyme works. It's it's just going to be chugging along versus like, yeah, it's it's working really well. So it's uh, it's very logical. You know, when I started to look at it, instead of it being this just big black box of we don't know, it was like, wow, it really does make sense that, you know, if you have a variant in that enzyme, it's not going to work as well. And therefore, the substrate that it's supposed to break down starts to build up in the body and become a problem. Okay. So it's, uh, yeah, it was fascinating when I started yeah. to look at it that way. Genes, you know, not just genes that code for the color of your hair or the, you know, your eyes or uh, color of your skin, etc., but more about the biochemistry how you know what are the what are the enzymes doing and how what code have we inherited that allow them to either work well or not work well and so that's that's much more interesting to me <laughs> yeah same here i've seen this you know, when you mentioned hives and you've mentioned uh it and i'm like oh i've got a wife that is very reactive to these things and and i see it uh i see it all the time um, yeah, I see it in my children too, and I'm like, um, we we brush it off as like, okay, this is just you know a symptom. The body's uh, expressing a symptom of something, but uh, yeah. this goes so much deeper, and I feel like that's the benefit of this conversation: a deeper understanding of the symptoms of like why, 
Um, You know, does like, does it matter where uh, your parents even came from? Does that make a difference? No, well, in in some cases it it might, but no, not really, because of our, you know, our bodies are ninety nine point nine percent the same. You know, uh, a very small percentage of variations uh, are going to affect the physiology of the body. Um, I think it's ninety nine point one percent exactly the same between between all people. Um, and yeah, and yeah. So let's let's think of it this way. Imagine your ancestors were alive during the potato famine of Ireland. And um, the people that survived that were the ones that could hold on to body fat, right? And the people that didn't survive were the ones that had a too high of a metabolism and, you know, they expired because they didn't have enough calories. So now they pass on those genes for being able to hold on to body fat. Not very fun for, for some of us. So um, in that region during that time, uh, you know, natural selection said those people that can gain weight are are going to be the ones that survive, and then they pass that on to generations. So, um, I guess in some sense, that to answer your question may have to do with you know where you were born, but not not necessarily like if you were you know from Africa. Well, I take that back. S- same kind of thing, natural selection. So those people that are are really good at fighting off malaria. Are the ones that survived, you know, in, in Africa where there's high incidence of malaria, and so they inherited the gene that causes sickle cell anemia, um, which is not very fun. But they're they're also more resistant to malaria, and so you know, it's it's that gene was selected for because of that those conditions that I guess are sort of inherent in that area of the world. If that makes yeah. yeah, no, it it does, and it's a uh, it's, it's important to like clarify that um, to to see exactly just how much effect that may have had. So, depending on where your parents uh, were born and what their parents went through, it's just this like uh, this foundation of DNA that's passed down again and again. Um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of funny that um, what helped us get here to to increase survivability. Um, is now kind of uh, affecting us in different ways because of overconsumption as, uh, you know, famine is no longer a problem, at least right. in much of, much of the developed world. Right. So it's having exactly. this opposite effect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've never been exposed to this level of pesticides and chemicals and hormone disruptors and electromagnetic fields and radiation, you know, that our ancestors were. And so our bodies really haven't adapted to that, which makes us much more susceptible to those kind of insults today as well. Um, because our, our bodies have never, have never seen these before. There's one, there's one specific gene, um, called the PON one, it's a peroxidase and its job is to get rid of glyphosates, which are in like roundup and, uh, predominantly. So our bodies aren't really designed to get rid of Roundup because our our ancestors never experienced it, and so we're having to adapt to these things, and it's going to take time. You know, people are dying of cancer and other things that are being caused by the glyphosates, um, and so natural selection is at work. It's not very fun, but it's a reality that you know the people that that can tolerate this level of carcinogenic substances and hormone disruptors and electromagnetic fields are the ones that'll pass on their genes. Uh, you know, it's an ongoing process. 
to you know to basically um foster a uh, new gen generations of people that are just much more resilient right. and but only god knows what will exist then as things right. continue to develop when you yeah. talk about electromagnetic fields are we talking about um just cell towers or are there other things yeah yeah 5g you know uh, the electromagnetic fields are everywhere now you can't get rid of you can't get away from them <laughs> you know you, right. everywhere you go, there's wi-fi and there's uh, electromagnetic fields constantly starting us what about like um uh uh power stations where we see these just power lines going through communities and um neighborhoods uh you can hear the buzzing as you drive by there's many where i'm at you know we're it's a large city los angeles this particular valley and i know of two whenever i drive by these things they are buzzing there's so much power being pushed through these things is there is there something that those things are emitting that could be um potentially harmful yes absolutely radio frequencies and electromagnetic fields i've got a little gauss meter that i use because i i moved into a house that was two doors down from a cell tower and i was like i really want to know <laughs> Well, how much damage is being done? And, and we put it up next to the wall. My mom's bedroom was like up right up against, you know, the outside and two doors down was the cell tower. And sure enough, man, that that thing was just like boom, boom, boom going warning. And it, it'll show you at a certain point, this is harmful to human tissue. You know, it goes past the little warning zone there. Those things are handy to have because you can really, wow, it's, it's uh, very enlightening to see what's happening. But bringing that back to the genetic talk, um, an interesting thing is that, you know, our wiring in our body, our electromagnetic, you know, our electrical system essentially is the nervous system, right? And it's very susceptible to this electromagnetic frequencies, unless you're well methylated, and in which case it, it kind of uh, builds up the myelin sheath that covers your your nervous system and protects you. It's like insulation on a on a wire in your house. Um, if you're if your methylation is low. Uh, genetically, then you're more susceptible to the effects of electromagnetic fields, and it can it can really damage you. You know, like MS, right? Is is uh, damage to the myelin sheath that causes the the neurological dysfunction of of muscular uh, of MS, multiple sclerosis. So, why don't you bring that up? Because that was another curiosity of mine was autoimmune uh, disorders. Because I have yeah. numerous clients with these that uh, suffer with pain and various things, and I was like, "Like where?" Yeah. Those are fascinating to me because that is um, that is uh, the uh, from my limited understanding. It's the immune system not not being able to like function properly, so the body is just attacking itself, uh, for lack of a better term. Right. Yeah, that's that is kind of the cliff notes of that. And I with the uh, when we do the genetic programs on people, um, we definitely see their risks, their higher risks of autoimmune disorders. But in my practice and in our, our research at, at my clinic, uh, we we saw people's autoimmune conditions reversing. And that's something they say can't be done. But we saw it happen, including one of the first kind of studies we did was on Hashimoto's thyroiditis, where the body's you know attacking the thyroid tissue, and um, we saw all of all of the patients we had that had Hashimoto's, all of them were uh, their their TPO numbers were going down to normal, which is the you know TPO is the blood work indicator of a thyro thyroperoxidase, which is 
uh, kind of how we monitor the severity of, of Hashimoto's. It all went back into normal and we started to do these uh, genetically designed nutritional programs on people. It was like fascinating. And then I saw it happen with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. I had a patient that we completely got her off all of her medications. She's had no remission now for, it's been about maybe 10 years. Um, I saw it happen with MS, with a patient that I had that was starting to reverse. I saw it happen with ALS. Um, I didn't stick around long enough. I actually quit practice before I saw, you know, the rest of the story with this ALS patient, but he was definitely getting more uh, more mobility back and and more sensitivity and and more function of his nervous system. So mm, this is this is this is uh, what were they being introduced to? What what well, type of did, medicine? You know, well, well, when we do the um, genetic test, we look at you know what specifically what nutrients do they need to take to specifically um, make up for the fact that they have these genetic variants. Uh, so in the case of histamine, like we were talking about, that HNMT enzyme that is coded by your genes requires um, a methyl group or SAMe, which is a, a nutrient that carries a methyl group. And then it helps that enzyme work better to break down histamine. So, you know, if, if they have that genetic variant, then, you know, that's the, the algorithm actually figures out what nutrients they need for their specific genetic variants and designs this this program. But in the cases of like uh, autoimmune conditions, it's there are specific genes that are involved in that, the vitamin D receptor being one, um, and the HLA variants another. And so we we look at what what set of genes have you inherited that might be causing these underlying conditions. And then we give them very specific nutrients to fire up that enzyme better, which we call cofactors or coenzymes. They make the enzyme work better. Um, and it, it gets very, it's very precise, but it's magical because it just starts the body working like it's supposed to. And these conditions reverse, they start pedaling backwards because the body now has what it does to function needs to function correctly. And so that was stunning to me when we saw when we saw that start to happen. Stunning indeed. How, how far, how far advanced, uh, would a, disease uh need to be to say like this won't work for somebody well that's a good question you know in the in the case of like rheumatoid arthritis we saw people whose you know joints were really crooked and and disfigured that didn't reverse but their pain went away and the progression of the disease stopped same with uh, macular degeneration we uh, my mom was one of those and we you know she was 95 and they said oh it's just going to get worse and worse and she had uh, what's called wet macular degeneration. We were able to, re you know, reverse the wet to dry and stop the progression completely. She didn't get her sight completely back because it had progressed. The damage had progressed. So, this is all—it's all brand new, Mike. You know, it's—I've uh, seen things happen that that people say is impossible. So I, I'm always optimistic about what you know what we can do. But in my experience and my limited experience, it seems like once the damage is done, you can't reverse it, but you can you can keep the progression from going further. Is it is it a per so whatever the algorithm decides is the appropriate course of action? And let's say there, there's no need for deviation if you see process uh, progress. Um, do you need uh, does that individual need to stay on that course forever? 
to just maintain the uh, the uh, elimination of progress in whatever degenerative disease they're dealing with? Yeah, more than likely. Um, the you know your genes are your genes. Your genes aren't going to change. Uh, so okay. you really do have to stay on the supplementation. But the the program can change a little bit. You know, initially when you get your genes tested, some of this may be environmental damage, and you you reverse some of that, and you get detoxing better, and your your program can shrink down to your core program. That's what I call your core program for your genetics. And in the case of me, you know, when you, when you and I talked before, I told you about, you know, suffering from depression for my entire life and from chronic fatigue syndrome for at least 40 years. And that completely reversed when I started taking supplementation that you like, boom, my brain chemistry changed. Suddenly my brain is able to make serotonin and dopamine correctly. And it, and my depression went away almost immediately. And wow. but if I stopped taking my supplements. It will come back, <laughs> you know? So I, I take my supplements and it's easy. It's, you know, it's a handful of supplements rather than a medication or, a you know, a antidepressant. It's supplements. It's very specific supplements for me that help my brain work correctly. And I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to take them the rest of my life. <laughs> Sign yeah. me up. I mean, well, as, yeah, as long as it continues to work, I mean, there's no yeah. reason to stop. And as long as they're not harmful or uh, creating right. other issues like medications typically would, right. um, as, a, as I've right. kind of dove into this world over the, the 10 years it became it became quite evident you know we are chemically driven in so many ways just in every way um and understanding these chemicals is critical and so i i just feel like even in the earliest versions of biology that we would learn in school just didn't cover some of these things we'd learned about plant biology and things of that nature and that that's great and some uh forms of biology of uh of the human body but we you know obviously i think if this is this area was of interest to an individual it's like okay go go and study that for you know the next four to six years if you wish but the the little bit that we got just kind of um overlooks so much particularly let's say the the chemical uh portion of it um this this type of practice is so fascinating i am just you have no idea how grateful i am to have met you uh oh. because i'm excited to try this myself i'm excited to see the results and uh whatever they may be and then um and then do it for my wife too uh it's become my belief our health is so valuable it is the most valuable asset we have and um and taking care of it now uh versus when we begin to see symptoms is uh the right course of action for for us that's my belief um yeah and, and that you know that brings up another point because i think a lot of people are afraid you know to get their genes tested because they're like i don't want to know you know i don't want to know what's coming down the line <laughs> But if you can do something about it, you know, like you say, if you can be proactive, uh, you know, you know where the bridge is out ahead. You want to know to turn off you know, and, and change your change your behavior, change your lifestyle or take supplementation to prevent what's coming. If there's something you can do about it, it's much more empowering than it is, you know, frightening. And so uh, I think it's I think it's a good idea to know your risk factors. Yeah, I think so, too.
which brings me to the um, where are we at here? Like, yeah, pretty much the the culture of medicating. That's you know, um, people, as you say, are in fear, and it's uh, it's very difficult to admit something is wrong. We tend to just if the symptoms go away in a short period of time, we're just, we just ignore it and ignore it forever until things really worsen. And I see this all the time in all ages that you don't begin to address it when, uh, until it's gotten so bad that you need, you need medication. Well, t- yeah. And we, like you say, we're a medication driven society because we want, we want instant, instant relief, not understanding that, you know, when you take an aspirin and your headache goes away, it's like, yay, you know, but you didn't get to why was it there in the first place? It's not an aspirin deficiency. Something caused that headache. Um, and it feels a lot better when you take aspirin, you know, but you just damaged your stomach lining and you've, you've created secondary damage down the line. Um, we, we want that instant relief, but not understanding the repercussions of it. And same with even natural medicine, you know, maybe we'll take willow bark versus aspirin. It's it's a natural way to, to relieve pain. But again, it does not address where that pain came from or where the headache came from. Um, and this goes deeper than we've ever gone before. You know, even in functional medicine, we would look at, oh, well, it's something you ate, you know, that you're allergic to or your or toxins that you're exposed to or your stress levels or muscular tension. You know, we look at those. We look even deeper, like, why are you reacting to that toxin? Why are you reacting to that food? Why are you stressed all the time? Why is your nervous system like this all the time? Um, and so that's, it's much deeper than anybody's ever gone before into cause. Uh, so it's it's just uh, to me it's it's a a paradigm shift. It's a pretty big paradigm shift, and it's a hard one to come from, you know, medicine that says let's put out the symptoms, to natural medicine says let's put out the symptoms, but let's do it naturally. To functional medicine that says, okay, let's look at, at causes, but even deeper than that is is the genetic, the underlying genes that code for our biochemistry that underlies everything. And so it's it's magical when you look at the body that way and you get it get it functioning at the highest possible level. Your immune system turns on correctly. You can fight infections very readily. You can detox better than, you know, than the majority of people on the planet. You can repair your DNA and RNA. You can make neurotransmitters correctly and break them down correctly. You can get rid of inflammation. You can um, get rid of histamine. You can make energy out of your food correctly. All of these things, if they're optimized, the body just works like it's supposed to. And your resilience is, you know, thousandfold. It's like you put up a, you know, a bubble around you and, th- you know, and things are just bouncing off of you and you're not susceptible to those, uh, everything that comes along, you know, <laughs> That would make me feel superhuman. (laughs) It really does. You know, and so my questions when people come in are like, why? Why are you doing, why is your body doing that? You know, I want (laughs) to know at the deepest level, why is that happening? Ah, you have the gene that, you know, let's say um, anxiety, because a lot of people do suffer from anxiety. And we think it's because they got a lot going on in their life, or they worry too much, or there's a lot of stress, they're working too hard or whatever. Really, it's their physiology that's stressed. They're, you know, they're like this because their adrenaline doesn't break down correctly. So, you know, in the 
medical model, we would give them Xanax, you know, right, to calm right. down. In the natural medicine world, we would say, well, let's give them some St. John's word or uh, chamomile to calm them down. And in functional medicine, we would say, you know, let's start meditating. Let's let's meditate and get present. And but at the genetic level, I'm going, why isn't your body breaking down adrenaline? It's an enzyme that you're you inherited uh, that isn't working correctly. That you know you got the wrong code for. And it just needs cofactors. And the, and the cofactors can be something simple like magnesium and uh, a mineral blend and, and then a, a methyl group. And boom, the body breaks down that adrenaline and suddenly the body, you know, they just go, oh, I'm, I don't have that much stress in my life. I was just making it worse because my body was doing this, you know. So we make up a story that relates to our physiology and we think that's real. <laughs> and often it's not. Wow, you you do very well of explaining this and um and 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 just conveying the message. It, it's I think that's one of the most critical things of um, uh, educating people on this is that uh, learning how to um, share that message uh, so people can uh, understand it and digest it and begin to uh, begin to uh, experiment with it. Um, I uh, I really hope to see this as the leading method in the future, uh, because uh, we can really change people's lives for the better. I mean, from the worst and worst degrees of illness to the simplest, like let's say anxiety. The way you described it, I'm like, well, that sounds almost too good to be true. It's just bi biochemistry. It's just simple biochemistry. <laughs> If we could just work at that level instead of trying to put out the symptoms out here, then gosh, you know, think about the reduction in healthcare costs and the reduction in right. lost work and the reduction in damage to relationships. And, you know, it, it's, it's stunning when you think about it that way. And the the thing, you know, again, back to, to my story where I had inherited that vitamin D receptor um, all my life, I had struggled with depression and thinking that it was because I had a, a crappy childhood. I have alcoholic parents and I was neglected and, you know, whatever we I've been through a lot of trauma. And I thought right. that's why. that was my story. I, I am depressed because of these things. And then when I figured out, you know, how to work with that genetic variant and turn it on and my brain started making neurotransmitters, that story went away. It was like, yeah, everybody's got their story. You know, everybody's yeah. got trauma, you know, trials yeah. and tribulations and traumas and my, mine were semi-severe and uh but it doesn't feel like that's who i am it's it feels like that was a biochemical story uh not a real reason my goodness yeah. i feel truly blessed when i learning about all these things i feel truly blessed we, i totally agree with you we all have those traumas like nobody had uh, particularly a perfect childhood and the small percentage that did came from a great family loving parents uh engaging uh still grow up to um you know develop behaviors and or um habits that are toxic dangerous and um and oftentimes uh can lead to just problems in their lives uh, but th those are a small percentage in comparison we all have a story um, and so it makes me wonder, like, how have I been so blessed to kind of um, 
just overcome these things versus um, versus taking the story and making it a part of my life and uh, dictating the path in which uh, it will lead. So yeah, uh, I'm sure I'm sure it didn't come without a lot of work, <laughs> you know, a lot of self, uh, you know, examination and maybe meditation and spiritual growth and. You know, those are all the things we do to sort of self-medicate, and they're fantastic. And I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing them. And congratulations for being able to, to get through those. But it's so much easier if you just balance the biochemistry, and then do that stuff on top of it. It's like I we and we talked about it before. I call it biochemical nirvana. You know, and you can, like, start with a, a like the balanced biochemistry, and then go to those. Uh, meditation and spiritual retreats and go, you know, go to the deeper levels so much easier than trying to get through all of the stories and all of the biochemical traumas that are happening all the time. Crazy. It, it truly is crazy because um, when I, when I say everyone, everyone does. And the, and I feel like today um, more people latch on to, the uh the trauma versus learning to let it go grow from it become stronger from it uh but here comes this solution that may help them do so through a deeper understanding right you've talked about this like expression the gene expression and i i've been thinking about it for since since the last time we spoke and um just trying to grasp this idea that we all have these things in our genetics, but if they lay dormant, but so at some point begin to express, uh, that's kind of where I've been stuck. Like what, how can they be there and be dormant? And then yeah. how can they just one day begin to express? That's a really good question. And I think it's uh, important to answer that because it's it can be confusing. Like the BRCA gene, you know, it, you're born with it. It's not like it's brand new, but it doesn't begin to cause breast cancer until later on in life. And the majority of times, it's because of uh, mitochondrial damage. And uh, familiar with mitochondria? And, yeah, yeah, uh, I did. So I did some brief reading on it. Uh, just it's okay. responsible for cell growth and energy production and various right. things. It, yeah, at the at, in the cell, it's a it's a little organelle that turns our food into energy. It's it's our powerhouse. It's what what makes the energy currency of the body called ATP. And it's of bacterial origin, which is kind of fascinating to think about, you know, like way back when we were just single celled organisms, uh, this bacterial like creature kind of inserted itself into a cell and there was a deal made, you know, like, Hey, you feed me, I'll give you energy. <laughs> you know, And so <laughs> like it allowed ourselves to really kind of grow and, and become, um, you know, multicellular organisms and, and go from there. And, but it's of bacterial origin. So remember that for a second. So we, it's in our cells, but it, our cells and our, and our genes have the ability to methylate and, and to be covered up. So uh, when, when our methylation is correct, you know, and that's B12 folic acid origins of, of that make a methyl group in our body, it covers up a, a gene and doesn't, allow it to express in, you know, so a BRCA gene, for instance, if it's methylated, it's going to be covered up so that the environment can't get in there to cause it to turn on. 
if you're unmethylated, if your B12 gets lower, if your folic acid gets lower, or your mitochondria is damaged, um, that that uh, gene is now open to the environment. The environment can get in. The environment being toxins, chemicals, pesticides, radiation, etc., drugs, um, antibiotics, especially. You know, if if mitochondria is bacterial origin, and we take an antibiotic, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to damage the mitochondria and kill it often. So those two things, low methylation and low mitochondrial function, lead to the expression of a gene that was covered up before. Now it's exposed to the environment and it can cause a problem. So what are the things that lower methylation? Um, lots of things. Stress uses up our B vitamins very quickly. Caffeine consumption, just lack of B vitamins in our diet and our foods. Um, the, taking the wrong kinds of B vitamins. You know, you can't just go out and take a multivitamin and think you're going to cover all of the bases. It's very specific. Um, the methyl B12 or methyl methylfolate are the active forms of, of B12 and folic acid. And if you have genetic variants that keep you from activating B12 out of your food or B12 or uh, folic acid out of your food, then you can't make the active forms and you can't methylate and cover up those genes. So lots of things can happen between the time you're born uh, to the time that a gene expresses and starts creating a health issue um, in those categories. Did it, was that too much too fast? <laughs> uh, it's okay. A lot. You know, for, for, for you viewers and listeners, you can rewind and listen to it again. You may have to listen to that again. Um, but yeah, so the lack of methylation can come from you know, nutrient deficiencies or, you know, just using up your methyl groups for stress or, you know, detoxification, et cetera. Having genetic variants in the, in the methylation pathways that, that slow down your ability to make methyl groups and then, uh, damage to the mitochondria is probably the number one when we look at especially for cancers, you know, that, that suddenly come on. And we know that there's a gene involved. Um, you probably have damaged your mitochondria and that, that allows for that gene to just start expressing itself and, and come alive and create a cancer. Yeah. I, I was uh, doing some reading on mitochondrial decay and it made me wonder, I'm like, well, since there's some relation for, uh, cell replication and growth and repair. I'm like, is this is this also why we see uh, aging? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Be yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm just like, I've been fascinated with that. I'm like, there's there's a tech billionaire out there who has spent a great deal of money uh, developing different things to slow down aging and begin to reverse it. And if you look at this guy, you're like, oh, he yeah. can't be a day over, you know, 34 or 35 when in reality he's closer to his 50s. Late, yeah. late late forties, uh, but he spent an, an enormous amount of effort and time and money to uh, to develop these things. Takes insane amounts of supplements. I mean, we're talking something stupid like seventy different capsules per day, uh, yeah. twice a day. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to be that. I just did a, a test through a company called True Diagnostics that looks at your your uh, biological age through um, blood and and your genes. And um, I'm 10 years younger than my biological age, at least in the, you know, genetic expression and the biomarkers in my blood. So wow. That That's positive. That's great news. Yeah, it's good news. Yeah, that yeah. I'm doing a good thing that I've been on the right track all this time. Yeah. All the, 
but it doesn't take 70 supplements. It takes very precise uh, supplementation for your genes, you know, and that's, that's the thing. Uh, well, it makes me wonder if that's what he did, what he explored or what he discovered. So these are the 70 or whatever. You're, yeah. Perhaps you're right. Maybe he doesn't need that much, but whoever he's been consulting and spending millions of dollars on, I mean, he's getting, he's getting something, some form of blood or genetic oh, something from his, from his younger son. On, oh, a, wow. on like, like on a weekly something, something like on a weekly basis yeah that's pretty that's it's pretty extreme <laughs> and it's like what do you even tell your son it's like you got to do this for me all right i i helped you to be alive yeah <laughs> i gave you, you life <laughs> you, you got to give it back in return um and it's, it's just a little bit of blood dude don't you know don't overreact just once a week that's all i need Oh, wow. uh, so, but it's, uh, it's fascinating to think I'm like, cause I've been thinking about aging. I've been thinking about just, um, the, uh, the decay and, uh, mobility and various things that come with aging. And for me, it's a priority Well, for both of us, uh, as, um, as husband and wife, we want, we want to be able to do all the great things we do now, uh, at the age of 70 and the age of 80, like we don't want to be inactive. We don't want to be in I wheelchairs. Either. I don't either. Yeah, that's not fun. Not that's yeah. <laughs> so like how how do we how do we do that? And it sounds to me that this is one method, and it's and it also sounds like we got to really get a hold of that um, that degradation in mitochondria. Um, yes, that is one of the very very key things is mitochondrial function. Looking at that. Um, some of the other things, you know, looking at what, uh, of course, inflammation, you know, the superoxides and peroxynitrites in, in our body can break down tissues, uh, uh, cause and free radicals, you know, cause, cause free radical damage. And of course, being able to get rid of toxins out of the body that can, you know, kind of damage our cells as well. So we look at all of those things and, and optimize all of it so that our bodies just age, you know, we, the, it's the, the physiology is working at optimal level in all aspects. And so it slows down the aging process, but telomeres is the, is the big indicator of, you know, how well you're aging and telomeres are a little tail off the side of a, of a gene of, of your DNA that gets shorter and shorter every time it replicates. And that's, you know, part of the aging process. And so the replication isn't as accurate if that telomere tail gets shorter and shorter. I see. Um, so it's uh, telomere health is is very much like the you know the holy grail when it comes to looking at aging. And anyway, well, uh, when I consider just all the types of illness, uh, as I'm just looking at um, some of my notes here, like virtually almost anything that's preventable or treatable can uh, can use this methodology. Is that right? Yeah, you know, it, again, it isn't looking at like, oh, you have Parkinson's, therefore, you know, this is the gene responsible, therefore, here's the nutrient. It doesn't work that way. We look at, you know, where did Parkinson's come from? Where, you know, what went wrong that caused it to express? And we look at certain genes that increase your risk of it. But, but again, it comes back to that biochemistry. You know, are you uh, breaking down neurotransmitters. Are you making DOPA, you know, correctly? Are you breaking it down correctly? Um, are there, is there, 
uh, inflammatory molecules that are breaking down the substantia nigra in the brain that produces dopa. Are your receptors working correctly? And if not, why not? You know, and so again, we're we're looking deep, deep, deep into cause, not treating any disease, but preventing and correcting the body's function. And that's where the beauty of it of it lies is. And again, it's very specific. So like a multiple vitamin, let's say you, you decide, okay, well, it sounds like I just need to go out and get a multiple vitamin and make sure I get everything covered. <laughs> but if you're getting too much B12 and not enough folic acid, too much B6, not enough B5, you know, it's it's like we dial in your multiple exactly in the right levels for you. Um, if I take a multiple, it doesn't it doesn't work for me. And, I, and the majority of people, it won't work for. It's just, you know, a lot of times expensive urine. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, wait. Did, you, did you say expensive urine? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and what do you mean? Uh, a lot of expensive. times you'll see it just comes right out the same way it went in. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's an it's an interesting industry and in just how how it's progressed over the last several decades. It's you know they just create these things. It's out there, and you you could do some basic reading on the internet and say, oh, I guess this will this will help me, or or your doctor will suggest it, yeah. and you say, okay, let me go out and buy some B vitamins. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and assume that like, that'll do the trick. Um, I've, it's been my belief that, uh, the best, uh, the best place to get, uh, the proper nutrients is from food. But last time we spoke, you said there's an issue with selenium being in the soil. There's none. The soil is pretty much depleted and we don't, uh, there was another scientist and, uh, doctor I had on who uh, has worked for corporations developing foods specifically for the sake of like, uh, they hire him to determine how much salt, how much fat, how much sugar. We need this to be palatable, hyper palatable, and we need to sell a lot of it. We want people to finish the bag when they open it. That was his job. Wow. And um, and according to a lot of what he was saying, he's like, you know, the soil uh, treatment is terrible. And generally after farming, we ought to give that land upwards of 10 years or so for rehabilitation and we don't do it yeah it's pretty it's pretty sad when you look at the uh content of nutrients in our soils now compared to you know 100 years ago for sure um so yeah so you, you know so you can say yeah i'd love to just do this all with diet but I, it just doesn't seem to work and then okay. here's the other thing is, you know, like K2 is is critical in, in a lot of my programs that, that we work with. And K2 is really hard to find in our food now because, um, you know, grass-fed beef is is one source of it. And most of us are eating corn-fed beef and grass-fed is, is like a small percentage of what's out there. Um, but our, also our digestive systems don't convert K1 into K2 as readily as it used to because our, our microbiota has been compromised by all the pesticides and chemicals in our environment. So there's lots of things that are kind of impairing our ability to get those nutrients correctly. One way you can get it is in something called natto. Uh, and if you are familiar, you're familiar with, uh, you ever heard of natto? I have not, no. It's a cheese that a lot of uh, Asian folks eat. And it's stringy and it's slimy and it's nasty. And so it's <laughs> really not palatable to the American, the most American palates. I mean, I tried it and I was like, uh, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to do this. <laughs> but Japanese uh, cultures eat a lot of it, and they have they, so they don't need to supplement with K2, you know. And so there's those little barriers to getting, you know, lots of those things kind of build up to to, to become barriers to getting enough nutrients out of our diet. Um, and for me, you know, vitamin D, I love being out in the sun, you know, but I can't absorb the D uh, that I do get. Really? Because my receptor doesn't work correctly. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter how much D I take or how much sun exposure I get. My vitamin D levels never budged until I took the cofactors, the exact right nutrients to get that D absorption up and change the way that co or that receptor worked in my body. And so it's, it's pre precision. And that's why I say my supplementation is precise for me. You know, right. It wouldn't be the same for you at all because you probably don't have the same genes that I inherited. And so it's, uh, it's, it's a small, very precise supplement regimen for me that just optimizes everything, my energy, my brain chemistry, uh, my ability to detox and, um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go without it because you know I'm 63 and uh you know Are I'm you? Not that, yeah Oh you look good Thank you. you don't look 60, 63 at all That was the right response that was a good response okay. <laughs> Uh and I you know I'm in that zone where it's like things start to break down and you know you start to slow down I don't I don't want to go there I'm like you it's like no I got things to do I want to I want to go out and play I'm a diver a scuba diver and um I love the water and I love to swim and, you know, I love being, being active, uh, playing pickleball, et cetera. I don't want to, I don't want to age. <laughs> I'm not going there <laughs> if I can and help. It. So even if we, even if we do what, you know, uh, we shouldn't sacrifice mobility and, um, and uh, a certain, uh, I want to say consistency in that it's, and that's what it's terrible. I, you know, I, I visited my father yesterday. He is, um, he's on his last leg, unfortunately. And it's uh, one of the things that encouraged me 10 years ago to really begin this journey because um, I, I, I've i been witnessing this deterioration. And, and like we talked about in the beginning, people don't react, they ignore, um, even when they're given professional advice. And that's what I've seen in the medical world, like, uh, I believe doctors want to do good, but people don't listen. And so they're like, whatever, you're here for the medication. Here you go. Um, I, I tried. I gave you the best advice I could. You didn't listen. And now you're beyond help. So this is this is where we are. And it's I, I've spoken to many there. It's very discouraging for them. And naturally, with the burdens of their education costs, they're like, whatever, this is what I have to do. I have to prescribe. I have to see 100 patients a day. I got bills to pay too. And yeah. um and the, the desensitization of their job of like what can what can they do if people don't take it seriously? It's your life after all, you know, do what you will with it. Um something that came to mind you mentioned we talked about all of these things from just nutrients and receptors and then how the body functions in general uh when it's properly optimized all the way down to de detoxing. Uh, something I have been doing primarily after seeing the doctor for certain symptoms and getting blood work. And it was clear like, okay, we're eating like shit and we have been for a long time. What, what do we need to do? And the thing that I adopted or the practice I adopted was fasting primarily for 
two things. One, slowing down the uh, the progression of some of my symptoms, which it did work uh, to help detox because then my gut has, you know, 10 uh, plus hours to break down everything and then could rest because it's mm-hmm. not just overactive, just constantly breaking down food. It can have a period of rest. The hope from that was like maybe we can improve cell regeneration. Um, but I've been doing it for four or five years now. Um, it is very difficult, you know, to go without food, you know, from 5 a.m. to like 3 p.m., 4 p.m. It's a long day. And obviously you have the one meal and it, it could be a large one, but um, still very difficult. Uh, this is one of the more extreme methods. There's different forms of fasting, as I'm sure you're aware, but um, it is, is this something that actually does work? Is this something that people can turn to as an option, uh, aside from, let's say, experimenting and working with their genetics? That is a for, That is a for sure thing that people should do. But considering the food is garbage that we have access to, you can try to eat as clean as you possibly can. Um, and it's very expensive too. But is fasting something you could recommend? Is that something that you feel like, hey, this is there's something here? Yeah, no, it's that's a good question. Um, in the in the, our genetic report, in our diet and lifestyle report, we look at that, you know, do you have the genes that are would benefit from intermittent fasting? And if so, you know, how robust? And so uh, for some people, they can't maintain their blood sugar long enough to do long-term fasting like you're describing. So they have to do like 12 hours, 13 hours, 14 hours. But the science is pretty solid as to the benefit of intermittent fasting. And especially if you've inherited the BDNF gene that's associated with Alzheimer's. Uh, high association there. It's one of the recommendations. If you have that gene, uh, it's highly recommended that you do intermittent fasting and also high intensity interval training can reverse, you know, the risk of that and cold showers, which is kind of interesting, but yeah, yeah, it's it's very much intermittent fasting is very much determined by, you know, and how long you should go is very much determined by your genetics. And so it's, uh, it's fascinating to see those reports come out. And some people it's like, yeah, this is like really good for you. And other people it's like, yeah, you can do it, you know, for, for 12 hours and you're probably going to be done at that point. So um, that is something that we'll discover through, uh, through my results too, is like, okay, am I doing too much or am I not yeah. doing long enough or am I doing just the right amount of time yes. between and, meals? Right. Yeah. And as we optimize your nutrients, you'll find it much easier to, to do. And and that's the other thing. And I think you and I talked about this was, you know, in my practice, I would talk to people about doing lifestyle changes, you know, stop eating sugar and stop eating fat and, you know, do the intermittent fasting. And they go, "Mm -hmm." and (laughs) you know, I'd see them a month later and I'd go, how'd that go? And they're like, well, I did it for a couple of days. And then I just, you know, I couldn't like, okay. So I gave up, you know, like you're saying, I kind of gave up until I started doing this work. And what I realized was when we optimize people's biochemistry, again, back to that, that it's much easier for them to follow that advice. They don't have the cravings. You know, they're not craving sugar. They're not craving alcohol. They're not craving drugs, which is another thing that we saw. Um, and their energy is better. And they're, uh, they want to go out and walk. They want to be active. 
where before it was uh, it was drudgery or downright just you know impossible for them to do because they didn't have any energy in their tank they didn't have any fuel in their tank i was one of those too it's like i know i should get out i know i should exercise but i could not because i would pay for it for a day or two afterwards i would be sore i would be so tired and then once i got my biochemistry fixed it's like my body wants to move now and it's like it loves to um go and move and exercise and so um it that's what i found with my patients is we we get this in place and they they want to do the things that make them healthy and it's easy for them you know to follow those instructions so i think we had it backwards we were trying to force something on them that you know they, they can yeah it's tough i mean if uh, you we know what we need to do but there are so many things and obstacles that uh, that prevent us or that just uh, hold us down that's like cravings as you mentioned um and um and other factors i mean it, it could be j- just general lifestyle like you know you should exercise or like right. high high uh high stress interval training like it's um that's uh, it sounds great you may see people on youtube doing it and you say oh, yeah i'd like to do that and you might do it once and you right. feel great but there's no consistency there and uh to think that once you get that um homeostasis in your genetics that uh, people are more likely to stick with the program and feel like they can do it. They want to do it. It's absolutely uh, a huge shift. It That's- really is. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of eye-opening to me because I, you know, I think I was a little bit judgy and I think we are, you know, as a species generally judgy about you know, like, why don't they just put the ice cream down and go for a walk? You know, <laughs> clearly overweight. Why aren't they just doing something about it? You know, and so that was an eye opener for me when I, my patients were coming back in going, you know what, I don't even want sugar anymore. It just is not a thing that even appeals to me. Fascinating. I've, I've heard some, there's very few people percentage wise in the world that are like that, that are like, yeah, I've never cared for sweets. It's like, oh, but everybody loves sweets of some type. People that were, you know, loved sweets that were suddenly losing their cravings for it losing their desire for it just yeah so that was fascinating and same with like we saw it with methamphetamine and we saw it with cocaine Mm -hmm. uh, alcohol you know it was just like things were dropping off that they were like yeah i just don't doesn't even sound good anymore i was like wow because we're flooding the brain with dopamine and and occupying those receptors that they were self-medicating with whether it's sugar whether it's uh, drugs or alcohol or cigarettes or, or workaholism or whatever it was, if those receptors are now occupied by a dopamine molecule, it, the cravings go away. And it's just like, it's magic. It's pretty That's cool. magic. I mean, you're changing lives at, uh, at a rapid pace, right? I mean, uh, weeks, months for mm-hmm. days. Yeah. yeah days. Um, I had, uh, the, the first time I saw this was a meth addict and, and her family brought her in and, um, I had, I didn't know, you know, this was going to work. And I was like, let's, let's try it. Um, she didn't want to be a meth addict, you know, it wasn't something she really chose. It just, she tried it one day and boom, she was, uh, she was addicted because she had those empty receptors and now meth is, you know, attaching. Occupying it. 
Yeah. yeah. And she feels normal for the first time in her life. Now, boom, she's normal. So it's highly addictive for her. And uh, we put her on a, a program and it was, it was very quickly within a few days. She's like, I don't, doesn't even sound good to me anymore. And I've followed her through the years and it's been about 12 years now. She's, she's been free of uh, meth uh, drug addiction and has her kids back and her family back. And she just got married. And wow, so it was cool to see it just kind of stop. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's we, not a study. That's not a big study. That was anecdotal, but gosh, <laughs> pretty- but, but we need a, we need a larger test group. We, we need, uh, you know, yeah. we need to expose more people to the, the, this methodology, the, the principles of how this type of medicine is practiced. And, um, and though, of course, maybe insurance wouldn't cover these things and you have to come out of pocket but if you are at the end of your rope uh and you don't have m- much of a choice it's like yeah you, you should you should explore anything i you speak to all kinds of people all types of walks of life and um uh many of them uh who have aged and have issues they're like i would give up every penny i have to be healthy again the, from the wealthiest of wealthy to to average people they're like every penny i would um, and you can't get it back for, for many of them. It's uh, beyond that point. So, um, if, if you are at this juncture of life, like to take the leap, there's nothing to lose. And if you've already tried everything else, I mean, uh, particularly with, with substance abuse, we have a huge business and industry that is, uh, that preys on the, on the revolving door of, uh, rehabilitation. Right. So you go in, you may clean up, you come out, and whatever triggers that uh, that got you to use um, resurface. They manifest once again, and uh, and it's been my belief for years. I've dealt with addiction multiple times, and I can say it's like you know we all seek stimulation of some type. Yeah, it's the first time that you've exposed me to the idea that perhaps it's there's there's something there that's not working right if we can get it to work right mm-hmm. then you may no longer feel the desire to stimulate yourself with whatever substances that were the preference right i've i've never that's- had this idea before yeah i i hadn't either until i just saw this things start to work this way and it worked for me too cuz i was a workaholic just <laughs> Oh, that it's an addiction, just like any kind of drug or alcohol or whatever. Uh, and I stopped once I got, you know, my brain chemistry balanced. It was like, oh, you mean I can take time off and play and have fun? I, <laughs> yeah, fun? scuba dive. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go. Yeah. So balance, you know, I found this balance now. I'll take a nap in the afternoon instead of going, okay, it's I got five minutes. I can write another book. <laughs> well, you know, as a doctor, it's let's especially if you've worked in hospitals, you know that that's literally how it is, and they work, they work these people to the core. I mean, the administrations that run these hospitals are like you know just keep it moving, um, and what they do to um, the interns and those young people just coming out of uh, school, working the the very late shifts, and just it's pretty terrible. And then you see them ballooning up um in terms of weight and their cortisol levels are probably out of control they're not sleeping when they're supposed to they're working crazy hours the stress levels are 
unimaginable. Um, like how can we expect these people to work at their best in the most stressful environments uh, when they're not even healthy themselves? It's counterintuitive. It's an oxymoron. He- health professionals who are not healthy. Right. And we see it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything and in about an hour. That's awesome. So the last two things is, uh, you know, this is medicine today as we have it. What are, uh, what are the opinions of medical professionals in the, you know, in the community? Do they have anything to say about this, this methodology? Well, uh, it's, it really depends on if they're open to it and it's science-based, you know, I can show them the references for everything I say. And so if they're willing to just take a look, you know, those that are, are, are like, wow, this is, this is fantastic. This makes so much sense to me. And um, we can, and we've got several, you know, medical doctors on board and psychologists and psychiatrists who are using the system now, which is amazing because they're, instead of prescribing medications, they're going, let's, let's look at the genetic underlying genetic variants and put them on these programs before we go to, you know, drugs and surgery. And sometimes those are, are needed. So it's somebody that can do both. It's a fantastic thing. And my goal is to get as many of those signed up as I can. So uh, I don't know this, you know, it's, I haven't, um, I haven't exposed a lot of medical doctors to it. Some of them have just kind of come to us because their patients brought them their reports and said, you know, look at this. Is this, what does this mean? And if they get curious, they call us and say, can I be a provider? And it's like, yeah, for sure. That would be amazing. That is amazing. Those, I mean, I would say that's, uh, that is very positive to hear that doctors are saying we never, we never, concerned ourselves with ourselves with these aspects but since you did all the legwork uh in getting the the information like we may as well take a closer look and i imagine also it's very costly too so you can have all these symptoms and the doctor is constrained or the, the hospital or whatever group is constrained by whatever insurance covers right and that's the that's part of the problem mike is that you know they uh, the AMA is, has got standards of care that they have to follow and insurance will only cover certain things. So this isn't super expensive. Uh, it, it may sound like it, but it's really not. It's very, it's very affordable. Um, but I haven't yet seen insurance cover it. doesn't mean it won't, but HSA uh, will cover it. You know, the health savings accounts um, you can use for it, but um, who knows? That'll well, be a standard of care. That would be my dream. Yeah, I would like to see that too, especially if we uh, begin to see um, like a large amount of people, like hundreds of thousands of people going through this and coming out the other end far better than they were, far healthier. Um, And it it becomes that standard because then everyone in the community would have to pay attention and say, oh, there is definitely something here. And as you mentioned before, it becomes, I think, um, critical for insurance companies to say, oh, this is saving us money. Right. Um, Of course, maybe hospitals won't like it. You know, they they thrive on sick people being sick chronically. They're they're over, you know, they're understaffed and overworked and, you know, 
I don't think just during COVID, but in general, you know, it seems like most are. And then if we can relieve, you know, keep people out of the hospital by, you know, balancing out their physiology so that they're not as susceptible to infections or other diseases, then we can lower the burden of healthcare on the on the world at large. So. Right. So that's the next step, I would say, is, you know, uh, especially for uh, the broader um, perspective of where we are uh, for me- modern medicine. Um, this is a a natural evolutionary step for them because they will inevitably have to uh, have this consensus that, okay, we are overburdened, it is costing too much, and it's going to benefit everybody to uh, to approach it in in the manner of uh, uh, prevention and and uh, you know uh, care versus. Um, dealing with symptoms treating symptoms and um and just pumping out uh drugs i mean just dr- basically drugging people and that's what we've done for so long uh and that uh, hasn't been working it's time to explore something else yeah uh, and i think people are sick of it you know even doctors are sick of it they're sick of writing prescriptions and not seeing people get well you know they may right. get relief but they're not getting well they're not getting better yeah yeah they're not getting better it makes me uh it makes me wonder if we're too far along to see if uh we might be able to help my father um because i i suspect there's only days weeks or months left oh, yeah that's based tough. on his condition What's going on with him? uh ten, 10 plus years ago he had open heart surgery um it was a quadruple bypass uh they gave him the advice he needed after he recovered he didn't follow it there was no consistency. There was no self-care. Um, this this year, he had another stroke, I think, and then um, uh, and then his lungs started filling up with uh, fluid. His legs are swelling. There, I saw him yesterday. He doesn't even want to go to the hospital. His feelings currently are just like they're not going to do anything. There's nothing they can do. They're gonna they're gonna put me in a bed, monitor me for for a day, and then release me. There's not like there's not much to do, and um, so like I would say to me that feels like okay the the medical system is like okay we're giving up on this guy. There's nothing more to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think? Is there if there's only days, weeks, or months left? Is there uh, any chance of being able to get results in time to to help him ba- bounce back or is it like it's a gamble well, who who's saying there's days weeks or months who's- from what i what i uh what i view i saw him yesterday and i'm like yeah this this guy's not doing great he's on a ventilator mm-hmm. um struggling to breathe and uh he's lost so much weight he's unable to eat or hold down food um it just to me that's how it how it seems yeah it doesn't i have seem good, but you know if he's i don't know i'm an optimist <laughs> i never give are up you? yeah, yeah. But, so we can talk afterwards i have some suggestions okay well last last thing is what's your message to the world what do you want them to know i just you know i'm really passionate about empowering people 
to take charge of their own health and to understand their health and explore the genetic piece because it's it really is empowering to understand what's going on with you specifically, what your risks are and how you can modify those risks. And so, you know, take back your power because we've, we've given up a lot of our power to the medical establishment who says, just trust me here, take this thing. And I think it's time that we, we stood up and said, but why, you know, what's it going to do? and start to learn about how our bodies work and, and really uh, dig deep into this because there's nothing more important, as you said, <laughs> you know, if you don't have your health, nothing else, nothing else matters. And so there, it's not too hard to understand. It's actually logical. And some, you know, I gave you some examples of it's just logic. If you can't break down histamine correctly, this, this nutrient will help your body do that um, naturally. And so it's, it, it's uh, once you get past the fear of not being able to understand this and start to go, I, okay, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to start to study this. It's almost like the manual of your body. And, and uh, I can't think of anything more important or more empowering than to understand your body. I agree. Yeah. That's a damn good message. And uh, it's very encouraging. And it certainly uh, should encourage people to take it a little more seriously. It's, you don't want to wait till it's too late, and um, it's what. Well, what else is there in life? Uh, you have. You can have all the money in the world; it will never bring it back. This is what. This is why we're. You know, we're so passionate ourselves in the the work that I do, and why I take it so seriously at my current age. I'm like it's, especially considering uh, the history and just looking at my own parents. I'm like there's uh there's definitely risks those risks seem to be quite high uh, as they're experiencing it and i just don't know if um the medication regimen they're on it just makes it worse or if it is kind of helping or not um i you know i don't know much and they don't even know much they're given these medic they like they don't even understand what they're taking they're told like this is for this and this is for that and this is for that and you just kind of take the cocktail yeah and you and and you're like okay well you must know best you're the doctor so right. my life's in your hands now right we, sur we surrender to them and it, <laughs> you know without even really understanding so that's so yeah. let's let's take a minute and talk about this package here okay so i was so very happy to receive it when i opened it up it talked about uh just what the contents were and um a general just brief explanation would i think would would be great for this episode and when we get our results we can come back and talk about what those results look like i do i do admit at first i'm like man this is this is my genetics we're talking about who who is it shared with you no your, yourself in the lab no so uh, do you see the barcode on the outside uh, oh. the MH, and it says MHG, some number on there. MH, yes, I see it. That's the only thing the lab gets when they receive your sample. It's all, it, that's the only information that's going to be on that sample. Okay. So that, you have to register that number on our site with your unique email address. I don't have that. I will never have that information unless you give it to me. 
Okay. So now when that information comes back, it's attached. When you register your kit number, it's attached to that number and it goes into your account. I can't see it. The lab Perfect. can't see it. Um, and then the lab destroys your sample 90 days after it receives it. So it's it's gone forever. Um, you can get your report off of our site and delete your account off of our site. So it's like it never happened. So I'm very passionate about this piece because I saw what was happening at some other companies that were sharing their data with pharmaceutical companies, et cetera. And I this did is, not want to do that. that. That must be profitable too, because data is the, is, is the treasure in, in modern day. It's, it's yeah it's it is and it's you know if money is the bottom line there it's too bad you know because it's not for me it's it's about healing people and healing the world it's not about sharing people's data and making money off of dna i think that's i mean uh, there's a lot of money in in data and so it makes sense why see these other companies uh, are doing so and um and i imagine there's it's probably in the finer details, in the fine print, when you agree to the terms of conditions. Um, right, uh, it is. Yeah, it's it's right there that says, "Hey, we're going to share your 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 genetic makeup with uh, with partners." So I got these two, looks like cotton swabs here, mouth swabs. Is this for oral use? Yeah. So you just go in and uh, do about thirty seconds. Uh, just then, mix it up. Your DNA is the same on both sides of your cheeks. So just <laughs> <laughs> and then, so what's the solution for in here? So then you you put the uh, the swab in there and shake it up and down. You know, go up and down with the the swab so that the okay. DNA comes off the swab into the solution. I see. Yeah. And then you do that twice. So you got two swabs so that we can get enough DNA to make sure that we get accurate results with you. So I need to do both of them. 30 mm -hmm. seconds on one cheek, dip it in. Doesn't matter. Go all up, go all up and down their cheeks. <laughs> and, and then dip it in here. How long do I leave, it, uh, leave it in here? You don't leave it in there. Just uh, go up and down. I think it says like 10 times or something, 20 times. Okay. Like 10. So 10 dips, lock the top, shake it, and then do the second swab. Yeah. So, uh, Rub the swab firmly against the inside of your cheek 15 to 20 times. Use light pressure similar to brushing your teeth. And then you put it in the vial and go up and down rapidly about 10 to 15 times. And then okay. Uh, and should I do both swabs and then close the top and shake or do one swab, close the top, shake, open it up, you don't, do this? You don't need to shake it. Just, just put the swab in there and go up and down 10 times. Okay. I see. So second. I can do one. Yeah. I can do one swab, put that aside, take the second swab, do it again, and then mm -hmm. close the lid. And this is what I mail. Yep. That's it. Okay. But has a, a mailing, has a little mailer in the, in the package. Yeah. There. Yeah. yeah. You, you did a fantastic job with the whole like package and everything. It's, it's pretty much as simple as can be. I just wanted to capture it on video uh, for everyone to see, like, this is what you get. Um, this is the process. I will be doing it. Um, and I'm very excited to see the results, whatever it may be, whether it's positive or negative, either way, there's going to be positives out of it.
Oh gosh, yeah, it's all positive. I mean, you're you're a miracle that you got here. Like out of the millions of sperm that swam upstream to connect with the egg, <laughs> you were the winner. So yeah, 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 I yeah, I say that all the time. It's my <laughs> wife. It's just like, isn't that fascinating? That yeah. you know, look at the two children we have. I'm like, they could have been, you know, it's a one out of all these millions of possibilities. It's incredibly fascinating to see these little people uh, that we create and then raise them and watch them develop personalities and it's it's awesome i love i love being a parent it's the best thing it's the best thing the best gift god has given us um and and it does not obviously it does not uh mean it's not difficult it's quite difficult yes yeah my daughter's 40 years old and it's still hard (laughs) oh is it (laughs) even if (laughs) i guess so it gets easier um Uh, so so do I register this first and then do the swabs and mail it? You, you know, as soon as you can register it, because you don't want to forget the number on there. That number is, is critical. It's the okay. only way we can connect your data to you. All right. All so right. you can create some random email. You can, you know, some dude at gmail.com. And it doesn't matter because it's it's not like you're going to use it as an email out there. It's the, your only email that's connected to your account. Well, In- I... I I think personally I may do this more than once. So I'm going to keep the account live. I will do it this time and we'll get the results and maybe in a year or two uh try again. It won't change. Your genes aren't going to change. Yeah, maybe your, so. Your gene expression can change how how they're expressing, but your genes themselves. But in a year or two I'd if they have changed how they express like uh, I'd like to see that too it's it won't show on your gene test it'll show okay. on an epigenetic test if you did a different company that looks at epigenetics then it'll change but your this is genetic so uh, that won't that won't change to my knowledge okay. an alien or I don't know maybe I, I don't know I might be <laughs> <laughs> I'm vastly different than uh uh, most people out there, but uh, pretty simple and and uh, I want to say plain in other ways. Like, uh, but yes, um, that's that. <laughs> that 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 is my plan for this. And um, before we go, I want to just get it for the record. You're absolutely awesome. You have no idea how much it means to me that you you've taken an hour and a half of your precious time to spend with me and to share this uh, content with the world. I uh, sincerely wish you the greatest of success and um virality in whatever form it comes and um you know perhaps someday i'll see you on that ted talk <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm on it i actually after we talked i went ahead and applied for the ted talk All right. All <laughs> so right. thank you for that yeah thank you so much mike i really appreciate it you had some great questions and uh, i just appreciate your time as well so thank you for spreading helping to spread the word